But praise God. Okay, open up your Bibles to Joel 2, 28 through 32, and we will get into the Word of God. Joel 2, 28 through 32. Okay, we are rapidly bringing this whole series to a close. We're going to be ending the series on Joel next week. But Joel 2, 28 through 32. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see it up on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, it'll be on your screen at home. Okay, this is God's word. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory and we thank you so much, Lord. We are still very much in the Thanksgiving season. And we want to give all the thanks to you, Lord. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you every day that your mercies are new, that you speak to us through your word, that you walk with us. Thank you for the community that you provide, that we don't have to live this life alone. But Father God, we thank you for the relationships here. We thank you for today that we get to gather like this. And Father God, I just want to pray that you would meet us, that you would, Father, open our hearts to your word, that you will help us to be built up in faith. Faith is so important. We need more faith. Give us more faith, O oh God. And be with all those who are away on Thanksgiving break. Uh, they are traveling. They are back home. I pray for protection upon them. And I pray if they are joining us here today online that you would also speak to them uh, through the wonders of internet. We thank you, God. And all these things we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Praise God. So for the last two weeks, that's the promise that we're really focused in on, and God is able to reverse his judgment. That is what that promise is pointing to. So this is what we've been looking at for the last two weeks, but Israel, as you guys know by now, was under judgment for their sin, and it came in the form of this locust plague, but literally billions of locusts had come upon their land and ate everything up in sight, so their land became stripped bare, their harvest was gone, and with it, years of working the land were gone. And years of food that they should have stored up were gone. Years of prosperity that they should have had. Because every year, they gathered the harvest, ate some of it, stored the rest. All of that was gone. So these were the years that the locusts had eaten. But like I said last week, this was so much more than economic loss, right? Because the locusts represented what? Sin. And the consequence for sin. The reason why those locusts came was because of Israel's sin. And so sin and the consequences for sin are still eating up precious years out of people's lives today. So this is what we looked at for the last two weeks. But sin hollows people out. It leaves them completely empty, like an empty shell. And so we've been looking at many examples of how this can happen. But for example, whether it's living an entire life based on your own wisdom, pursuing your own goals, that'll leave you empty. 
or living each day for your own appetites, chasing after pleasure, just day after day, whatever is on your mind, whatever fills your heart that day, you go after that. That'll leave you empty. Or spending years going in and out of church but never knowing God. Sitting through countless Bible studies, sermons, having a knowledge of God but never knowing God himself. That'll leave you empty. Or maybe you know God, but you're living under the weight of worry and fear and condemnation. Yes, you have the knowledge of the grace of God, but you don't have the real grace in your heart. That can leave you empty. We also talked about devoting the better part of your life to work, which is not bad. God designed work. It came before the fall. But you're spending all this time at work, but you're trusting in work, right? You're worshiping work is what will save you. That will also leave you empty. So these are all different sins that can eat up the years out of people's lives. These are wasted years. These are spiritually dead years. These are years full of struggle, full of activity, yet they produce nothing. Okay, when I say that, I'm not talking about you're not actually achieving goals. No, even non-believers do great things in this world. But in terms of eternity, things that will go into eternity, it produces nothing. Things that will lead people to Christ. Things that will bless people spiritually. Things that will glorify God, which is the whole point why we are here. It produces nothing. So what are these? These are locust-eaten years. And yet, here's the great message of Joel. Okay, this is the gospel message in Joel. But for people who repent and turn back to God with their whole hearts, what does God say? Okay, God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So that's a glorious promise, and we're not going to go into all of that again. But this is the turning point, the great restore, uh, restoration that Joel preached about. So last week, we saw how God will come, and if people repent, come back to him with their whole hearts, he's going to restore those lost years. He will do it by reversing his judgment upon their lives. He will begin to rain down his grace upon their lives. And finally, he will redeem their shame by coming to them, by being their God again. So these are all things that we looked at, and if you missed it, then I encourage you to go back, listen to that again, or find some other sermon that talks about this passage. But it is a glorious promise. And God is still doing that today. If we will turn back to God with our whole hearts, he will restore your years that the locusts have eaten. So this is the great turning point in the book of Joel. And if the book of Joel ended right there, we would be happy, right? Okay, we would end this series praising God. Praise God. That was good. But God is not content just leaving it there. Okay, he's not content to just bring us back to where we were before. But amazingly, if you look at the following verses, God gives another promise that far outstrips anything that he's promised up to that point. So God just blows our minds. Okay, He's not content to just restore what we had before. But he goes way beyond that, exceedingly beyond that. And so what does God go on to say? Joel 2.28. He then says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is truly amazing. Okay, this is a totally brand new promise in the book of Joel. It's never appeared before. And in the Hebrew Bible, not ours, but in the Hebrew Bible, they really make that point strong and clear because our passage today, verses 28 through 32, those verses we read earlier, in the Hebrew Bible, that's a whole brand new chapter. It makes up an entirely separate chapter. 
So in the Hebrew Bible, there are four chapters in the book of Joel. In our English Bible, there are only three. Okay, don't ask me why. That would be a great research project. So if any of you want to take the time to research that and get back to me, let me know. I will buy you a cup of coffee, okay? So go and find out. Why is that? Why did the Hebrew Bible set those verses apart as an entire separate chapter, but ours doesn't? But the point is that the Hebrew Bible acknowledges that this is a brand new promise. It's never appeared before. But it's more than just a promise because Joel, this is what he's doing here. But he took that theme of the day of the Lord, which he already mentioned several times before. And here he is giving it an entirely new dimension. So before he described the day of the Lord, not only as a day of judgment on the wicked, but a day of salvation and great blessing for the righteous. So we've already looked at that. But starting in our verses today, he gives it a whole new aspect, a whole new angle. But he begins to describe the day of the Lord as when God will come to his people in a direct, supernatural, and unprecedented way. Okay, you guys need to understand this. But the day of the Lord is something that is massive. It has many different layers. And Joel's throwing this whole new thing into it. But Joel's saying the day of the Lord is coming. And when that comes, God is going to do something utterly new that will blow your minds. But he will begin to relate to us in this direct, supernatural, unprecedented way. Okay, what are we talking about? God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Okay, anyone who has repentance and faith in me, I will begin to pour out my spirit. And Joel's description of the Spirit's outpouring is unique because this is you know, seen in other places in the Old Testament. Other prophets have mentioned the outpouring of the Spirit. So if you've ever read Ezekiel, you know Ezekiel talks about it. Isaiah talks about it as well. So in Ezekiel, for example, he talks about the outpouring of the Spirit creating a new heart in believers, Ezekiel 36. Isaiah mentions the outpouring of the Spirit. He says that the outpouring of the Spirit creates a new people of God, Isaiah 44. So these things have been talked about before, but Joel, he gives a total new spin on it, total new dimension. But unlike Ezekiel and Isaiah, Joel talked about the outpouring of the Spirit in the terms of supernatural prophetic signs. This is totally new. But Joel said, when God comes on his day and begins to pour out his spirit, there will be an outpouring of supernatural prophetic signs. And we'll look at that more a little bit later. But for Joel, the outpouring of the spirit on all people was a new, distinct day of the Lord. It was a new part or manifestation of the day of the Lord. And Joel left it vague in terms of when this would happen. And I think it's because he himself didn't know. He left it vague. But if you go to verse 28, he simply says, it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After God reverses the judgment, right? After he restores everything again in Israel. After that, some vague time in the future. Another translation of that Hebrew phrase is in the course of time. So in the course of time, eventually, God's going to do this new thing. So Joel didn't know when it would happen, but he knew it would be a part of the day of the Lord in the last days. And here's the amazing thing about this outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. Okay, here, here's the new thing I want to focus on today. Joel is talking about a radically new experience of God. Okay, days coming when you, my people, God is saying, are going to experience me in a totally new way. And so the outpouring of the Spirit 
will usher in a radically new experience of God. And I'm not afraid to say that word experience. I know sometimes it becomes a dirty word in church. But come on, right? Who would say, oh yeah, I don't have experiences with my spouse. I'm married to my spouse and I know my spouse and I learn things about my spouse, but I don't have experiences, right? That's dangerous. Okay, who would say that? I mean, that's ridiculous. I have experiences with my spouse. It's the same with God. Yes, we know God, we learn things about him, we're in relationship with him. And guess what? You have experiences with him. That's what it means to know God and be in relationship with God. And so here Joel is saying, or God rather, is saying through Joel, a day's coming when you're going to have a radical new experience of me. And this is going to happen through the outpouring of the Spirit. So what kind of an experience will it be? It will be a universal experience. It will be a direct experience of God. And finally, it will be a vindicating experience. And brothers and sisters, I just want to make this clear. We live on the other side of the outpouring of the Spirit. Amen? What I mean is, it's already happened. These are things that are not in the distant future. When Joel said it to the Israelites, they're like, "Uh, okay, afterwards, in the course of time, when, when is this going to happen, Joel? And Joel didn't know either. But our blessing, our privilege, is that we live on the other side of that. It's already happened. We look to the past and we see what's happened. It's a reality today. And God is saying, there is a brand new experience of me you can have. It is a universal experience. It is a direct experience. And it's a vindicating experience. So these are the things I want to see or look at today. So first, the outpouring of the Spirit is a universal experience of God. You look at verse 28, the first part. God said, it shall come to pass afterward in the course of time, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now right there, all flesh means what? All people. But it doesn't mean all people without any distinction, no. This doesn't mean that God's going to come one day and pour out his spirit upon any person whatsoever out there living any which way. No, that's not what it means. But rather, it means that he will pour out his spirit upon all who do what? Repent and put their faith in him, the living God. And upon those people, God will begin to pour out his spirit without any bias, without any favoritism. In other words, he will pour out his spirit upon all people. Isn't this exactly what Joel said? He said, I will pour out my flesh on, I'm sorry, my spirit on all flesh, all people. And then he describes who they are. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So do you see that? God is very explicit about who's going to receive the outpouring of the spirit. People of both genders, not just men. I know sometimes people feel like the Bible is a little bit biased towards men. That's not true. It's just the culture during that time. So when it says brothers, it's including sisters. When it says mankind, it's including women. But here it's explicit though. God gets very explicit. Both genders, sons and daughters. Not only that, people of all ages, old men, young men, people of all classes. Sons and daughters who are the heirs who receive the inheritance, but also male and female servants who don't receive any inheritance. Different classes. And to the Jew, this would have been the most shocking of all. But later on in the New Testament, we know that God eventually poured out his spirit upon who? Both Jew and Gentile. So when God said all people, he meant all people. Both genders, all ages, all classes, Jews and Gentiles. And so this is a radical new reality. 
In the Old Testament, there were only three kinds of people who were spirit people, who had the privilege to receive the outpouring of the Spirit. You know who they are? This would be a great quiz question. But they were prophets, priests, and kings. They are the only people in the Old Testament who had the privilege to receive the outpouring of the Spirit. And all of these people were always Jewish, and they were almost always men. Actually, I can't think of one woman in the Old Testament who received the outpouring of the Spirit. They were pretty much all men and always Jewish. And even then, it wasn't permanent on these men. But they were the only ones who had the privilege of receiving the outpouring of the Spirit. But now, Joel says, prophetically, all of that's going to change. On the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming, when all true believers are going to receive the outpouring of the Spirit. All true believers. This is staggering, brothers and sisters. See, again, we live on the other side of this, and we've heard it before, and we're just like, okay, I've heard this. But you need to understand, if you didn't, if you weren't born where you are now, and you were born in the past, this would have been completely unthinkable, staggering, unbelievable. How can that be, right? That's never happened before. And yet God says, no, that day is coming. No matter who you are, if you come to me in repentance and faith with your whole hearts, then you will receive the outpouring of the Spirit. This is what a Christian is. Ben Wetherington, he's a very respected Bible scholar, but he said throughout Acts, the book of Acts, the presence of the Spirit is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. I will say that again, or I'll repeat him. Throughout Acts, the presence of the Spirit is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. It is what makes a person a Christian. I love that. It's so direct and clear. But what makes a Christian a Christian? You have received the outpouring of the Spirit. A privilege that only Jewish men got to have in the Old Testament. For centuries and centuries and centuries, only prophets, priests, and kings received that privilege. And now you can have it. Now I can have it. That's what makes us Christian. So this is the great equalizer. This is the great unifier. You know, more than 600 years before Joel, Moses lived. And he longed to see this day. He longed to see this universal experience of the Spirit. But it says in Numbers 11, 27 through 29, this is a story about Moses in the desert. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord, Moses, stop them. Right? They shouldn't prophesy. You're the prophet, right? You're the only one who should have the spirit and prophesy. But Moses said to Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? It's not about hierarchy or, don't, don't be jealous for me. And then listen, would that, or in other words, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Moses longed for that day, brothers and sisters. Again, a day that's behind us, right? We're living on the other side of this. And Moses is like, I can't wait. Prophetically, he just knew in the future, distant future, a day's coming when everyone will receive the Spirit and prophesy. I can't wait. I can't wait. And so this is what Joel was prophesying. Maybe he was thinking about Moses' words when he penned these words in the book of Joel. So this is a glorious, mind-blowing prophecy from the mouth of Joel. And after the Spirit's outpouring on Pentecost, Paul emphasized the same universal experience. But Paul said the same thing pretty much. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, the Bible is a unified whole. It's consistent, Old Testament, New Testament. Anywhere you open it, it's going to say the same things. Just a little differently. It'll expand, but it says the same thing. But the outpouring of the spirit is for all people. It's, for universe, it's a universal experience, amen? So again, this is staggering. A Jew in the Old Testament wouldn't have even understood this. They couldn't even wrap their mind around this. How can this be? Going back to Moses and Joshua, Joshua would have been like, what, Moses? What, you're longing for that? How can that even be? The Spirit isn't for all people. It's only for those special anointed people like you, Moses, or priests or kings. It's not for everyone. And yet this day has come, brothers and sisters. It is a universal experience for anyone, even anyone here. I believe and I pray that all of you have experienced the outpouring of the Spirit, but anyone here who comes to God in repentance and faith, you can have the Spirit poured out on you. So the Spirit will be poured out on anyone without bias or discrimination. And this is what drew the early believers together as one. This is what united them. This is what gave them a common identity that went underneath all their other identities. You know, lately I've been watching a lot of videos of Jews coming to faith in Christ. I think I mentioned that a few weeks ago. But it's just amazing what's happening. But there are movements happening in Israel right now where Jews and Palestinians, and if you know your history, you know that they are arch enemies. The Palestinians every day are dropping bombs into Israel, and Israel has to retaliate. But there's a growing movement of Jews and Palestinians living in Israel who have both come to faith in Christ, they've received the Spirit, and now they're united as one. They're brothers and sisters. There are all these pictures and videos of them hugging, and they're just brothers, and they're going to seminary together. They're ministering together, Jews and Palestinians as one. It's amazing. And their unity that they have in Christ is greater than the unity they have with people of their own background, their own culture and ethnicity. So this is amazing, but that's what Christ does, right? We, We know that, but to see it living in color in front of you, it blows your mind. But it gives you this unity, this identity that goes underneath all the other things that you have in common with people in this world. And so this is what the world is so desperately wanting and yet cannot find. In our culture today, they are constantly talking about ending discrimination, ending racism, trying to produce common love and unity among all peoples. And yet, believers already have this in Christ through the outpouring of the Spirit. It is a universal experience we already have. And I'm here to you know, encourage you guys, connect the dots. When you come to church or when you're praying or seeking God on your own, connect the dots all the time between your faith, what you're reading in the Word, and what's going on around you. Connect those dots. Your faith is highly, highly relevant. But connect the dots between your faith and the unity you have with other believers and the struggle our culture is having right now to produce unity. You know, today people talk continuously about racism and discrimination and efforts to fight it. And I just want to make it clear, as a minority myself, I do not believe that as a nation we are more racist and discriminating than in the past. I don't believe that we're more those things than in the past. I don't accept that narrative. But I do accept this, that we are more racialized. We're more divided today. That that is true. We are continuously being categorized and identified by race, gender, class, more than ever before. That is true. And oftentimes this is done by people who are genuinely prejudiced. They are genuinely prejudiced. But other times it's being done by those who are trying to combat it. So in a way, they're trying to combat it, but it's kind of backfiring. 
So you could say efforts to combat these things have in some ways heightened the tension. They've increased the divide, even with the good intentions that people might have. And why is that? It's because sin in the human heart remains. Okay, you don't get rid of these things simply because of policies or, or certain slogans or you're you know, tweeting things all the time on social media. They do not go away. So then what we need to do as believers is do more than look on and shake our heads at the culture. But we have the ultimate answer to the tensions and divides all around us. It's in your mouth. Amen? I'm literally saying connect the dots, brothers and sisters. The things that we read in scripture, connect those dots to the things we see all around us. The things that your family members, maybe you talked about these things during Thanksgiving. Maybe your friends. Maybe when you go to work, these are the things that people always buzz about. But connect the dots. You have the ultimate answer in your mouth. It's in your heart. What are we talking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And the real experience of the outpouring of the spirit that comes upon people who believe in that gospel. That is the ultimate answer. That is real, brothers and sisters. And you have it. Again, connect those dots. You know, I remember talking to a young believer one time. uh, This was years ago. He was very bright, good student. And he had a desire to go into politics which I believe God can use. That's a legitimate calling. But his faith in God didn't seem to be his motivation. That's not why he wanted to go into politics. But as I talked to him more and more, I realized he was motivated by this kind of general desire to change the culture, to fight injustice in our country. And I remember talking to him about how God can use someone like him. Yes, God very well could be calling you to do this. But ultimately, I remember we were having this lunch together and I told him, you know what though, brother? Politics is not the answer. Even knowing God could be calling him to do that, I said, politics is not the answer. Because policies, as important as they are, they have no ability to change the human heart. Okay, policies can help. They can highlight certain things that we need to address. But they cannot change the human heart. But what can change the human heart and unite people truly Again, even people as different as Jews and Palestinians is the gospel and the power of the Spirit. And so I don't know how he received that. He seemed to just kind of be like, okay. But what he should have done is kept that which he already had, the gospel and the power of the Spirit living in him because I believe he is a true believer. But he should have kept that front and center as he pursued politics. That's the approach he should have had. So the answer he was seeking through politics, he already had. And so we're the same, brothers and sisters. Most of us aren't going to be going into that field, but we are the same. So what conflicts are you dealing with in your life? Okay, what divisions? Again, we just had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, but maybe you had some conflict going back home. But what things are you struggling with? What injustices are you facing? And isn't it true that the ultimate answer is already in your mouth? It's already in your heart. The gospel of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit that you received when you put your faith in that gospel. Isn't that the answer? That is the ultimate answer, and I would say the only true answer. So God said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people who repent and put their faith in me. This is a universal experience. God does not discriminate. There is no bias whatsoever. I don't care who you are. You can come to faith in Christ as a 5-year-old, or as a 55-year-old, or as an 85-year-old. Man, woman, Palestinian, Jew, it doesn't matter, Asian, Hispanic, God will pour out his spirit. And again, this is mind-blowing. 
any Jew in the Old Testament would have just flipped out. They wouldn't even understand what we're talking about. And yet this is reality. So that's the first thing that we see. But second, the outpouring of the Spirit is a direct experience of God. Not only a universal experience, but a direct experience of God. Now earlier I said Joel's description of the Spirit's outpouring is unique, right? Because in the Old Testament, other prophets talked about the outpouring of the Spirit, like Ezekiel and Isaiah. Again, Ezekiel talked about how the Spirit's outpouring creates a new heart in us. Isaiah said when the Spirit gets poured out, there will be a new community of God that gets formed. All of that is true. And I would, I would say Joel wholeheartedly believed in all of that as well. But when he mentioned the outpouring of the Spirit, he had a different emphasis. He said the outpouring of the Spirit will manifest prophetic supernatural signs and wonders. So look at Joel 2.28. It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So Joel says the outpouring of the spirit will be manifested through the supernatural gifts of the spirit. So can it give you a new heart? Absolutely. Can it form a new community that wasn't there before? Absolutely. But what else? Joel says there will be supernatural gifts. How do you know the spirit was poured out? There will be gifts. And signs, these miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And specifically, Joel is zeroing in on one particular gift, the gift of prophecy, in the form of dreams and visions, but it's the gift of prophecy. And this was a big, big change in the way God would relate to his people. Again, this is another mind-blowing thing. It's like, what? But before in the past, God related to people through certain anointed individuals. Okay, I mentioned this earlier, people like priests, prophets, kings. If you ever wanted to hear from God, you would have to go to one of these special people who are anointed by the Spirit. And you would relate to God through these people. But again, Joel said, that day is coming. One day is coming, the day of the Lord, when the Spirit is poured out, and on that day, things are going to change. Something massive is going to shift, and from that point on, God will do what? Relate directly. Again, we're living on the other side of this, brothers and sisters. God will relate directly with his people. Okay, massive change. One Bible scholar said it like this, the dreams, visions, and prophecies serve to authenticate the presence of the Spirit. So how do you know the Spirit is in your life? Through these signs. That's one way. It authenticates the presence of the Spirit and to draw the individual into a direct experience with God. Again, that's not a dirty word, <laughs> experience. But these signs... These gifts are a direct avenue, direct connection with God. And then he goes on. For Joel, the gift of the prophetic spirit marked in a new way that God was establishing himself as the God of Israel and was putting an end to the old order. So there was a brand new order, a whole new way of dealing with his people that God was bringing. Again, mind-blowing. And of course, this change has already happened. When Jesus died and rose again and poured out his spirit on Pentecost, on that day, Peter stood up and people were kind of like criticizing and mocking what was happening because people were speaking in tongues and prophesying and speaking in other languages. And Peter quoted Joel's prophecy in full. He quoted it to explain what was happening on Pentecost. But Peter said in Acts 2, 16 through 18, it's the same thing. But this is what 
was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So in this moment, starting from Pentecost onward, God had a whole new way of dealing with his people. The old order is gone. The new order is here. It is the age of the Spirit. It is the last days when God would deal directly with his people. So again, this is for everybody, whether you're Jew, Gentile, man or woman, young or old, slave or free. If you have put your faith in Christ and repented of your sins, you can have a direct experience of the living God. And why am I getting a little bit heated about this? It's because so many Christians, they do not have this experience or very little of it. And going back to that other quote I quoted, from a Bible scholar in the book of Acts, that is what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who is walking by the Spirit, experiencing communion with the Spirit. You have this direct connection with the living God. That is what a Christian is. And God is saying, that day is here. That day is here. Now, there's a lot we could say. I think there's a breakout trying to happen. Someone's trying to break out. It's like, get me out of here. I got to go home. I hope it's not an adult. Okay. But anyway, there's a lot we could say about these prophetic gifts such as, I do not believe that these gifts have passed away. Some of you here might believe that. We can talk. <laughs> there are very uh, respectable Christians who believe on both sides. But I personally do not believe that these gifts have passed away once the Bible is finished being written. And the reason why is because I just don't see it in Scripture. That is a very hard argument to make when you look at the overall teaching on these gifts in the New Testament. I just don't see that argument in the New Testament. That's a different sermon. I've already given that sermon in the past. But the point that Joel is making here is that through the outpouring of the Spirit and through these prophetic gifts, believers now have a direct connection with the living God. There is a direct experience of the living God. And this experience is also available to you. So through the outpouring of the Spirit, as you come to faith in Christ, and by the way, this can happen every single day. You can have this renewed filling every day. Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, fill me. And then you go and live your life. You begin to just walk through your day, trusting in the Spirit, and he will fill you. And as you do that, you can have a direct experience of the living God. His Spirit will create love in your heart for God and his word. Do you struggle to love him? Do you struggle to actually even care about the word and read the word? Well, the reason why is because you're not being filled with the spirit because the moment you are, you will devour the word of God. Okay, maybe when you were first saved, you remember that. Okay, what was it about when I first got saved? I just devoured the word of God. I was kind of like that. I used to sleep with the Bible under my pillow, but I used to just read it all the time. This is before smartphones. So I had to carry this book around, but I don't know what it was. I was just so hungry for it when before it was the most boring thing I could imagine. Well, what is that? It's not because I'm so spiritual, but it's because the Holy Spirit was working in me. The Holy Spirit was working in me. And you guys know that as well, many of you. But he creates these new loves. He also creates new hates. Before you enjoyed your sin, but now you hate it. Even as you're tempted, you hate it. Even as you might stumble into it, you hate it. That is the work of the Spirit. He encourages you to surrender your life to him. Okay, why do people do that? Why do people surrender their previous careers to adopt a new career or to leave a comfort that they had here to go to the mission field? Why do they do that? Why do they make drastic changes in their life, take a lesser paying job 
over a higher paying job to serve God here is because the Spirit is encouraging them to surrender their lives. He also empowers people to serve him, to serve him through the gifts of the Spirit working in your life. He also speaks to us. How many of you guys have a testimony of God speaking to you recently? I encourage you, pray today. Go home if you don't and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. And again, I don't say this because I'm special or there's something, you know, better about my walk with God than yours. It's just merely the spirit working. But God speaks to me a lot. And there are other people that I've talked to and they speak, they hear God even more, right? And so there's just varying degrees. But God speaks all the time through scripture. And oftentimes it's not not lovey-dovey. Sometimes he will speak very harsh, rebuking words. But he is always speaking as you read scripture. Okay, verses being given to you Maybe through a friend or a parent calls you with a verse or you just come across something and you're reading in scripture or you're praying something and you just get convicted. But God is always speaking. He's even speaking things that, you, that he wants you to share with others. Okay, this is what these prophetic gifts are about. Never on the same level of scripture, but always in line with scripture. But there are things that he speaks to us that he wants us to share with others as well. And so what am I saying? This is a direct connection to the living God. So I want us to see, brothers and sisters, that there are new levels, new heights, new depths in your relationship with God that you have not experienced yet. So you need to to see that in order to get excited for something, right? If you always feel like something is the same, it never changes. This is the problem with being married for a long time. It's just the same old, same old spouse, right? The same old dinners, the same old conversations. There's nothing new. A lot of people feel that way with their relationship with God. There's nothing new, right? It's just the same old church, the same old songs, same old Bible that I've heard or read. Well, I want to encourage you. There are heights and depths to your relationship with God you know nothing about. You have never tasted. You have never experienced. It's like going to Yosemite and you've only ever entered the entrance and camped only in the front entrance and never wandered into the deeper parts of Yosemite. It's just like that with our walk with God. And I'm like that as well. But I want to encourage you, there are greater, greater things to see and to experience. And so Christianity is far more than just a religion. It is a relationship with the living God. We have heard that before. Yes, that is true. But we should understand this. It is a relationship like no other relationship you have ever experienced before. It is like nothing else. And that's because Christianity at its core is a supernatural life centered on a relationship with the supernatural being, God, who created heaven and earth. How can you have a normal, boring relationship with the living God? It is a supernatural relationship with the supernatural being. At its core, that is Christianity. And the outpouring and filling of the Spirit is absolutely essential to that life. You cannot live the Christian life. Again, like that Bible scholar said, that is what a Christian is, is somebody who is filled with the Spirit, walking and living this life of the Spirit. To have Christianity without the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life would be like having a laptop. You bought it, but you never plugged it in. And so now every day you open up that laptop, and people look over and you're like, you're a weirdo. Your screen is black. It's dark. There's no power. But you're like, oh, I like my laptop. (laughs) I don't know why. Sorry. (laughs) Getting into that voice. I'm I'm not imitating anybody. It's just like. 
It's like, what are you doing? Every day you open up this laptop and do, 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 do. you need to plug that thing in. There are new levels. There's something beyond the keyboard that you like to tap on. There's something beyond the feel of the cover. But there are new levels and new heights and experiences once you plug it in. And it's the same way with our walk with God. And so the Christian life without the spirit is just a prop. It really becomes just a prop. It's actually even worse than that. But without the Holy Spirit, there is no basic difference whatsoever between a believer's life and a non-believer's life. I will say that again. If you are not aware of the Spirit each day, filled by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit each and every day, and walking by the Spirit, by the way, is what you do throughout your day when you're filled by the Spirit. That's all it is. You're filled by the Spirit, which is another way of saying you're under the control of the Spirit. And then you walk through your day, you're walking by the Spirit. If you're not doing that each and every day, then your life and my life is no different from a non-believer's life. It's no different. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is what makes the Christian life work. That is the essence of the Christian life. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. In case you're wondering, we're not talking about charismatic Christianity here. If some of you guys are not from that background and you might be tuning out going, oh, that's charismatic Christianity. No, I'm not talking about that. This is just simple Christianity, normal Christianity. In fact, some of the greatest non-charismatic Bible scholars emphasize this point. For example, John Calvin, one of the most influential theologians in history, he was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? John Calvin. Very conservative, and yet he was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. John Stott, another very respected conservative Bible scholar, he already passed away, but listen to him. John Stott said, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. And when he says Christian discipleship, he really means the normal Christian life. He doesn't mean the program in your church, discipleship program. He's just talking about the normal Christian life would be inconceivable, even impossible. He goes on, without the Holy Spirit, the normal Christian life would be inconceivable. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from the Spirit's fruit, and no effective witness without the Spirit's power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. See, these are conservative scholars, but they're very clear on this point. You must have the Holy Spirit each and every day filling your life. Gordon Fee, he actually is a charismatic Bible scholar, but he is a world-class Pauline scholar. No one knows Paul's theology better than Gordon Fee. He's one of the top scholars. But he said, Paul's view of life in Christ is so thoroughly dominated by the Spirit that the Spirit is the one absolutely essential ingredient for that life. The Spirit is the essential player in the believer's experiencing and living out the salvation that God has brought about in Christ. It is fair to say that Paul's entire theology without the supporting pinion of the Spirit would crumble into ruins. You know what a pinion is? It's like that little pin that holds like a machinery together, you pull it out, the machine collapses. Fee said, the Holy Spirit is that pin for Paul's theology. You pull out the Holy Spirit, his whole theology collapses. It doesn't work. Nothing works. How do you get saved? How do you know the living God? How do you pray? How do you grow in holiness? How do you serve him? How do you share the gospel? How do you persevere until that final day? Everything is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's my question. How much do you desire this, brothers and sisters? 
Again, we're not like the people in Joel's day who are looking into the distant future. Oh, one day, one day, maybe I can have the Spirit. We're here. It's today. Today you can have the Holy Spirit. So how much do you desire this? And so your lack of experience with God working in you and through you is not a lack of desire on God's part. We've already seen how much God desires this for all people. But it is always a lack of desire on our part. God wants this for you. He wants us so badly he sent his son and died and rose again and poured out his spirit already. But it is always because of a lack of desire on our part. So I have a little more to say on that in a moment. But this is the experience that is available. You can have a direct experience with the living God. That is what a Christian is. You have this connection with the living God. But there's something else. Finally, the outpouring of the spirit is a vindicating experience of God. So this is a universal experience, a direct experience, and a vindicating experience. So if you look at Joel 2, 31 and 32, it says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And again, Peter quotes those exact same verses on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 19 through 21. You can look at it on your own. He quotes those exact same words again on the day of Pentecost. So, so what is this about? This is very weird. Because up until now, okay, I understand. God's going to reverse the judgment. He's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. He's going to go even beyond that. He's going to pour out his spirit. Praise God. Everything's good. But then why does he go into all this doom and gloom and darkness and judgment? Well, I believe Joel here, he's such a thorough and careful prophet. Okay, he doesn't speak loose and fast. But here, Joel is clarifying something. But he's saying that the coming of the Spirit is not only about supernatural gifts and connecting with God. It is that. But it's not just that. But the coming of the Spirit is also judgment. Okay, this is what Joel's saying. It also means judgment. So just like the day of the Lord, the outpouring of the Spirit is different things to different people. And why is that? It's because the outpouring of the Spirit is a part of the day of the Lord. So it will be different things to different people. So to one group of people, the outpouring of the Spirit is going to be tremendous blessing, receiving gifts, a direct connection with God. You're going to have a whole new level of experience of God. You're going to know God. You're going to walk with God, serve God. So all of that is true. But for a different group of people, it will be a day of doom and judgment. These are the unrepentant sinners. And so the outpouring of the Spirit will be different things to different people. And so this is why Joel goes into all of these other things in that very same passage. But for those who have repented and put their faith in Christ, this is the point that I want to end on. It will be a day of incredible vindication. Okay, what does that mean? What Joel is saying is, Israel, I know what you've been through. Okay, I know all the hardship and the suffering because of your sin. But we know, I know all the things you've been through. But one day God is going to bring vindication to all of that. Okay, all of it one day is going to be shown to be worth it. Okay, that's what, that is what Joel is saying. So it's kind of like you're buying this house. Maybe it was before COVID. And so you put the down payment down and you started paying payments on the mortgage and you got the title deed, right? But this house hasn't been built yet because it's COVID. 
And so the builders said, you know what? It's going to take a long time. Supplies are low. It's going to take about five years to build your house. It's going to take five years. And so you're like, oh my gosh, okay, but I have the title deed. So you put it away, and then little by little, as time goes by, you begin to forget about your house. Or, or you remember your house, but you're kind of having doubts. What's the thing that will convict your heart again and reassure you again that that house is coming? It's the title deed, right? You've got to pull that thing out. It's like, oh yeah, I own this house. It's coming. One day I'm going to live here. I'm going to live in that house. Well, what Joel is saying here is the outpouring of the Spirit is the same proof of your vindication. See, that day is coming. Okay, one day, all the things you've suffered, all the things that are broken in this life, okay, all the years that have been taken from you because of your sin, one day that vindication is coming. God will restore all those years. He will bring the victory. He will bring you safely home. But how do I know that, right? How do I know that? Well, because God said it. Yes, he did. But I need something more than that. Well, God said, here it is. I will give you the title deed, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is the Holy Spirit. And so, what, so this is what Joel is ending on, but God is promising the vindication that will come in your life, and the proof of that is the outpouring of the Spirit. You know, when I look at so many believers all around me, and I, and I do get to talk to a lot of people and hear different stories, I mean, it is just really devastating what people go through. I mean, truly devastating. People really do suffer in this world. My wife and I were talking about that the other day. But even recently, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was just sharing again uh, the story. I heard it before, but he was just sharing again of this sister that we both know. I know her as well. I personally know her. But she was a godly sister. She loved the Lord. Um, she went to China and did missions work there for many years. But then she had to come back, and the reason why is because she had a nephew, I believe, who basically lost his mom because the mother had committed suicide. And so because of that, she came back, and this person had no one, no one else in the family but her. And so she basically adopted him and began to raise him. He was just a boy and began to raise him as the mother. And she was a young woman too in her 20s. But her life was kind of put on hold because of all of this. And so there she was doing her best and raising this person. And then I heard, it was just so tragic, but because of a turn of events, one thing led to another, and then this boy, who is now a young man, recently took his life as well. So he committed suicide as well. And when I heard that, I was just so devastated to hear that. And just, just putting myself in the shoes of this, this young woman, and everything that she already went through, and then on top of that, this happened, and I just couldn't even believe that. And yet, when I read a passage like Joel 2. Even earlier this week as I was preparing this, I was just thinking about that story. Thinking, you know what though? Her vindication is coming. Even though she doesn't understand, even though it's, it's utterly devastating, even if she's struggling as we speak, her vindication is coming. And how do we know that? And not only hers, but all of yours. How do we know that? It's because God said, I have poured out my spirit. That spirit is the title deed. Right? You don't have the house yet. You need to wait. Many years until you can actually live there and step into your new house. And yet, how do you know you have it because of that deed? And that is the spirit in your life. And so, brothers and sisters, we're coming to a close. But here's the main point of this message. All of this is not future. It is available today. It is available today. The universal experience of God 
The direct experience of God and this vindicating experience of God is available today. And so what do you desire? You know, all throughout Scripture, the Bible is constantly putting forth different pictures of a choice that people need to make. Different values that people have, and based on those values, what choice are you going to make? The Bible is always putting forth these pictures. And I believe the same choice is before us as we wrap up the series on Joel. But, but what do you desire? Right? What do you value? Do you value this? So for example, if you go all the way back to the beginning in scripture, Esau. Jacob had a brother, twin brother named Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He had the inheritance of his father Isaac. He should have been the recipient of the promises of God to Abraham, his grandfather. Esau was a direct grandson of Abraham. Think about that. And yet, there was a choice before him. Are you going to live for the things in this world, just your appetite? He was a hunter. One day he came in hungry. And in that moment, Jacob said, Esau, I got some soup for you. He was a good cook. <laughs> if, I, if I can have your inheritance, if you give me your birthright, I will give you the soup. And Esau in that moment said, I don't care, take it. See, that was a choice. That choice was before him. Fast forward a little bit further in the Old Testament, Saul, King Saul, same thing. God had chosen him. He was supposed to be the anointed king. The covenant was supposed to go to him. It should have been the son, not of David, the son of Saul when Jesus came. And yet what happened? Saul had a choice before him. What do you value? Do you value your own respect, your own reputation? Or do you value obedience to God? To obey is better than sacrifice. And Saul, unfortunately, said, oh, no, I want my reputation. Yeah, I want this earthly kingdom. Right? You just keep going through Scripture. You see these choices unfolding every time. Judas, he was an apostle, one of the apostles of Christ, literally one of the 12. Yeah, he wasn't number 13. He was in the first 12. His name should have been on one of the pillars of heaven right now. One of the gates of heaven should have had his name on there. One of the 12, and yet Judas had a choice. What do you value, Judas? Do you va- value political revolution? Do you, do you value the treasures of this earth? Or do you value eternal treasures? Christ. And he made his choice. Later in the New Testament, Alexander Hemenaeus, Paul pointed them out. Okay, you are an early Christian in the early church, a partner with the Apostle Paul serving God. And what do you value? Do you value the world? Or do you want to suffer with Christ and with Paul? Do you want the kingdom? And they made their choice. They left Paul. They left the faith for the world because they loved the world. And so as we come to a close today, brothers and sisters, I just want to put it before you guys and before myself is what do you value? Do you value these things that we looked at? Do you value a direct experience of the living God? Do you value this relationship with God that is universal that will vindicate all your sin and all your brokenness one day. What what do you value? So that's a question only you can answer. Amen? Well, let's just come before God. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We just humble ourselves today as we do each and every day. And Lord God, I, I truly ask and pray that we would wrestle with these questions, that we would wrestle with what we truly value. Because Lord God, your word is clear. The book of Joel is clear. All of these things that we have looked at are available today. 
They are for us today. And there have been countless testimonies of men and women throughout the ages who have heard your word, they took it at face value, received your word, and they were forever changed. Everything that you promised came true in their lives. They began to live an entirely new kind of life of directly experiencing you, of living and serving in the power of the Spirit, of living this true Christian life that is, again, available today, is available right now. So, Lord God, I pray and ask that you will please help us to make the right choice. Lord, your warnings are so clear all through Scripture. Your encouragements are clear too. Okay, what will you choose today? So, Lord God, I pray and ask that everybody here and everybody who may be online, everybody who is a part of this community, that we would choose you, God. That we would begin to walk in a whole new experience in relationship with you. So, Lord, we thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's just uh, continue in a mode of prayer. We do this every Sunday, but we have a moment to respond to his word. But let's just come before him. Thank you, Lord Jesus.